Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there all alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea, very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat whispered, worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, that is um, a well-known story to many of us. Jesus walking on the water. We're going to be looking at that this morning. We've been in an ongoing teaching series in the Gospel of Matthew for a few years. We're taking it slow. We're taking it in little chunks until we make it through the whole thing. Uh, this spring and summer, we'll be looking at chapters 13 through 20. I'm calling this series Jesus Unfiltered because the goal of this series is that we would all more clearly see the whole Christ, the full Jesus, the real Jesus, uh, not the Jesus that we want to see, not the Jesus that we assume to be, not just the parts that we like, that we gravitate towards, uh, not the parts that we like to use for our own agendas, whatever that might be, but the whole and full Jesus. This spring, our family is getting back into baseball. We have three baseball players right now playing baseball, and we love the sport. Um, baseball is a good example of the power of our filters. We could use any sport, but baseball in particular. Because you could be at a baseball game, and maybe it's your own son or daughter, or it's your team that's out there playing. And the pitch comes, hits the catcher's mitt, and you're like, that was a strike. Clear, how could he call it a ball? But the parent of the other kid on the other team, or the fan of the other team is like, oh, that was a ball. Good call, good call. Or it might be on the base pass, right? The runner runs, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he was totally safe on that play. How could he call him out? And yet the other team or the other parents are like, good call, he was out. And you can even watch it in slow motion, right? And you're looking at it, and you can get into an argument with people from the opposite side and go, yeah, 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 I see it. That runner was out. Like, what are you looking at? How could you see that? He is clearly safe. What is going on there? Filters. Often we see what we want to see. We see what we want to be true, not what is. And it's a helpful way to understand how we miss things, how we don't see things, how some things just don't get through. 
when it comes to Jesus and why there can be disagreement, why there can be division, and why there can be imbalance in the church and in our own lives and hearts. This passage that we just read deals with one of the most basic and primary filters that we all have, whatever your political allegiance, whatever your cultural leanings or personal preferences, we all have this filter. It's the filter of our fear. Now, this passage is all about fear. And fear is like a filter, isn't it? When we're afraid, the thing we're afraid of seems so big, right? We almost can't see around it. We can't see through it to the other side. All all that we see is that thing that we're really afraid of. You know, to use a kind of a lighthearted example, maybe you're deathly afraid of spiders. I don't like spiders, but maybe you're you just, if one is in your presence, it's like massive. It's like a giant monster creature that you can't rest or think or do anything until that problem is dealt with. And you're like, Afterward, well, yeah, other people, it's just a tiny spider, but you're like, I'm afraid. And when we're afraid for more serious things, more important things in life, we try to reason with ourselves and say, it's not that big of a deal. Why can't I stop being afraid? What's going on here? But none of that works. And afterward, we often look back and say, why was I so afraid of that? It worked out. Why did I think it was so big? Other times we get stuck in patterns of fear that stay with us and control us. And this story from the life of Jesus is all about fear in the storm. How can we not be controlled or ruled by our fear when it seems so big? How can we face any storm with faith and hope? This passage will help guide us into how that is possible. And I realize, just knowing some of what is going on in your lives, some of you are in a storm right now. All you can see is the storm. You can't see around it. You can't see through it. And you are mastered. You are controlled by that fear. Jesus feels like he's not in the picture for you. He's distant. You can't see him in it. For some of us, We're there right now. For all of us, storms will come beyond our strength. So what does this passage have to say to us? Three things I want to look at. First, what not to expect about the storm. In dealing with our fear, the fears you have right now, the fears that will come in your life, it is important to know What to not expect first. And that's an important lesson here in this story, one that Matthew makes clear. And this is actually a very clear teaching of Jesus. This is actually a very clear teaching of Christianity and throughout the New Testament, but it's often not made clear. And often, for all kinds of reasons, we totally miss it. Here is what not to expect. A storm-free life. Or in other words, do not expect a life free from fear. In fact, in following Jesus, that can often lead you to storms, fears that you wouldn't have to face otherwise. Look at verse 22 with me. Look at the passage. After the crowds were fed, it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. 
So he dismissed the crowd. This was the crowd we talked about last week, the 5,000 plus that he had fed. He's dealing with them. He's dismissing them. And he says, you go in this boat. It says he made them. He didn't ask them. He didn't suggest. He made. In the original language, this is actually a very forceful word, a word of command. So the disciples knew this is not an option. (laughs) This is not a suggestion. Jesus is like, get into the boat and go. This means the disciples were in the will of Jesus. Yet because of this, they were in a situation that overwhelmed them and brought them great fear, a storm beyond their strength. And we can probably guess, you know, what they were thinking at this point. Wait, didn't Jesus tell us to do this? He made us get into this boat, and look what happened all around us. Did he know that this was going to happen? Something's off. Something's wrong. If we are doing what he said, why is there a storm? This is the second time in a row that following Jesus involved him asking them to do something that was beyond their ability and beyond their resources to do. Feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And now Jesus is sending them into something that they couldn't control, this storm beyond their strength. A trial of great fear. Why? Why would he do that? Sometimes we are taught, sometimes we believe a kind of Christianity that filters out all the storms and adversity and trials. And we make up a version that sounds really good to us. It sounds great to me. Become a Christian. And life will unfold the way that you hope it will and want it to. Or be obedient, have enough faith, and Jesus will spare you from storms and adversity and trials. He will give you a life of perfect peace and comfort. Very clearly, this passage says, no. (laughs) This passage and Jesus in many other places, it's so crystal clear. The New Testament is very clear on this. 2 Corinthians 1 says, the comfort of Christ is ours in abundance. But there in the very next phrase it says, and the sufferings of Christ are also ours in abundance. Philippians 1 says, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer. Romans 8 says, we will be heirs with Christ if we suffer with him. We struggle with that. That's not the Christianity or the Jesus we would write up ourselves. And many religions, many spiritualities would say pretty much this. If you obey, if you practice these disciplines, if you master your mind, then what you get is a life of peace and calm and tranquility. No storms. What this passage is telling us is that true Christianity gives us something more realistic and much better. And as we go, I hope to show you both of these things. First, it's very realistic. I think we know that, but it's also much better. In the storm, what happens when we hit a storm and when we're afraid? We're often fighting on two fronts. On the one hand, we're fighting against our expectation that this storm shouldn't be happening. What is going on? Why is this happening? There shouldn't be any storms in my life, and we're fighting that. 
and then we're fighting the storm itself. This passage can save us from that first fight. There will be storms, and that's realistic and true to life. Not only is it realistic, but when we learn what not to expect about the storm, there's something much better for us once we accept that. What not to expect, too. What to expect. So if we are able to accept what's here in the passage, there will be storms, there will be adversity, so don't expect them not to come. What can we expect when the storm hits? Two things we learn here that we can expect. And as we go, I hope to show you that what I just said, that there's something better here for us. It's real, but it's better. But first, a little bit more of the realism. We can expect, first, fear and doubt. Jesus told the disciples to get into a boat, right, and go ahead of him to the other side. Look at verse 22. Jesus wrapped all the things up. He dismissed the crowds by himself. After that, he went up to a mountain to pray alone. And then what happened next? Verse 24. Meanwhile, the boat was still a long way from getting where they were supposed to go. When you piece together the timeline here, the disciples were probably out on this lake for about six to nine hours rowing. If you've ever rowed a lot against wind, you know it's very tiring. <laughs> and you feel like you're rowing and you're rowing and you're barely getting anywhere. And these were experienced boatmen, fishermen. But they were rowing for hours into the wind and they weren't where they were supposed to be yet. This was not a canoe, you know, or a kayak. This was a pretty large boat. It had at least the 12 disciples and probably more people in it. This was a very big lake, f probably four to five miles wide on its widest uh, spot. So they had rowed all these miles. The best guess from the information here is they're probably at least another mile away. And so there they are, <laughs> stuck and weary and tired. And here we see again, feeling stuck, weary, and tired is not necessarily a sign that you are outside of God's will. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. In addition, verse 25 says uh, in the CSB, in the version we read, early in the morning. Literally, this is the time of day between 3 and 6 a.m. So very, very early, meaning dark and pitch black in the darkest time of the day. So in the darkest time of night, they're starting to lose hope. They're tired. They feel like they're getting nowhere. When that happens in your life, this may be one of those things that goes without saying, but expect fear and doubt to creep in. No matter how spiritual you are or think you are or think you should be or no matter how strong you think you should be, expect fear and doubt to come. And that's how it played out here for Peter Starting with this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter, he takes on a new role. He becomes the representative disciple. You'll see him come to the forefront a lot. He's the representative of the 12, but he's also the representative for all of us, for any who would seek to follow Jesus. Peter is the one, as it were, how things play out. What does Christian discipleship look like? Well, Peter shows us. 
He's a picture of discipleship and growth, and it's very true to life here. In verses 28 through 31, they see Jesus coming to them, so he's walking on the water. Obviously, they've never seen anything like that happen before, and they're freaking out. A part of the common belief and lore of the time is that there were these water spirits and demons, and if they pulled you down into the water and you had a shipwreck, your soul was lost forever. Maybe that's what they were thinking, but they're like, what is this? What is happening? Afraid, they thought he was a ghost. And when Jesus answers them and he speaks to them, Peter is the first one to respond. Verse 28, he says, if it's you, and the force of that is actually a little bit stronger. It means since it's you, he's not doubting it's him. He knows it's Jesus. He says, since it's you, Jesus, command me to come to you under the water. And if you know a little bit about Peter, he's kind of brash. He kind of says the first thing that comes out of his mouth, and we go, why? <laughs> why did he say that? Why didn't he just say, Jesus, it's you. Get in the boat <laughs> and get us to the shore. But he says something kind of crazy, maybe kind of courageous. He says, if it's you, command me to come to you. He climbs out. He starts walking onto the water to Jesus. And as he's doing that, it's happening. He gets out of the boat, but then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the storm that's happening all around him, the strength of the wind, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, Jesus, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter is an example of faith and of fear and doubt. All mixed in, all at the same time. This is a great example of faith. Jesus, uh, Jesus is coming, and Peter says, since it's you, since it's you, Jesus, you're here, I can not only get through the storm in this boat, I can defy the storm, and I can walk into it. If you tell me to, if you command me to, I'll do it. And he did it <laughs> for a moment. And we say, wow, that is courage. For that moment, Peter had tossed the filter of his fear aside, and he's invincible. Courage comes, we learn from Peter, not from looking within, but from looking without, looking to Jesus. But then, a few moments later, he saw the wind. He took his eyes off Jesus, and he thought, what is going on? What am I doing? Look all around me. This is insane. And he starts sinking, and the fear came back. And at that moment, the storm became bigger than Jesus. He, his fear took over. He began to sink. Now, that's humbling, right, for Peter? To have his, his story of fear and failure be told. This isn't the only one that's told in the Bible, but he could have edited this out. He could have asked Matthew to take it out, but he said, put it in. It's written down for all to read. It's so true to life. How can it be in the storm? One moment, walking on water, I defy the storm, and the next moment, you're sinking, full of fear and doubt. No matter who you are, there is no way to be 100% prepared for the storms of life, the storms that will come to you. No matter how much you know, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you pray, fear and doubt will still come and be mixed 
with faith. This happened for Peter. And as we read earlier in the service, this happened for Paul, the great apostle Paul. What did he say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? He said, I'm going to tell you, he's writing to a church he knew well. He said, I'm going to tell you what happened with me. I was overwhelmed. I was despairing of life itself. I got to the lowest point. The storm got the better of me. This is the great apostle Paul. He told them. He shared it. He didn't hide it. And it's not hidden here from Peter's life. And this means for us, when, when storms come, storms of sickness, storms of disease, storms of depression, storms of fear, storms of anxiety, when trials come, the experience of fear and doubt is not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to pretend that isn't happening so you can look spiritual and feel like you should be accepted by others. No, this puts all of that away and says, expect fear and doubt to come. It's normal. It's a part of the struggle. It's a part of the journey. It's a part of Christian discipleship and growth. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not proof we are a bad Christian. It's a part of the journey. So expect fear and doubt. But there's something else, and here's where... Christianity offers us something better in the storms. Back to verse 25. The disciples are battered. The wind was against them. Literally, the word there is that the wind was tormenting them. And they were thinking, where was Jesus? And Jesus comes walking out toward them on the sea. And this helps us answer the question, what can we expect when we're a mess, when we're a mix? We believe a little bit. Some days we believe. Some days we don't. Some days we have courage, and sometimes we feel like we're sinking. And it's dark, and we're stuck, and weary, and tired. What can we expect? We can expect Jesus to come toward us. We can expect Jesus to come toward us like he did here. This is the most important part of the passage. This is the very center and heart of this story. Jesus comes to them in their fear. In the dark, they are stuck, they are tired, they are weary. How do they respond? They're terrified when Jesus comes. They're afraid, it says. But you know what? When they were afraid and terrified of Jesus, at that point, they were no longer afraid of the storm. Do you see that? That's how Peter did what he did. Fear was the antidote to their fear. This is the teaching of this passage. This is the teaching of the Bible on how we live free from the filter of fear, even in the storm. In the words, maybe you saw it in the reflection quote of the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he said, he who fears God has nothing else to fear. Not the fear of judgment. It's not talking about the fear of punishment. The fear of something greater. The fear of awe and reverence, and worship. Jesus, in verse 27, says, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus is not saying here, and this is the heart, and this is the center. He's not saying, Hey, guys, it's me, Jesus. Don't you recognize me? Like, yeah, I've never done this before, but it's me. That's not what he's saying. Something far greater and deeper. He is telling 
and revealing to the disciples who he really is. It is I. Those words in the Greek are really just two words, ego eimi. Literally, I am. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. In those words, we have all we need. In those two words, we have all we need to face any storm, no matter what it is, to get through it. And I know that's saying a lot. In the Bible, the sea is a symbol for the forces of evil, the things that are beyond our control, the things we are most afraid of. Only God, only the Creator, only the great I Am who exists because He exists, who made all things, who can walk on the sea, who can part the sea, who can calm the sea. Only the great I Am is greater than the sea. This is all throughout the Old Testament. That it is the Lord alone who can calm the sea. It is the Lord alone who can walk on the sea. This is the answer to the question of why did Jesus do it like this? Why did he show and reveal himself like this? Walking on the sea, it seems crazy, hard to believe. Maybe a little bit like, why did he do it? He could have just appeared in the boat. Many other things he could have done. But there was no clearer. There was no more powerful way for Jesus to get through all the filters that the disciples had as they were trying to come to grips with who is Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, many scholars and commentators said this is the highest moment. This is the greatest revelation of the personhood and the reality and the divinity and the lordship of Jesus right here. That Jesus is the Lord of all. The I Am. If this is true, there's no storm greater than Him. If Jesus is with me, if Jesus is for me, no storm, no matter how strong, is stronger or greater than Him. Maybe one way that we can understand this, not a perfect illustration, but maybe one that's relevant to us here in Southern California, it's something like this. There's a difference between the Lakers with LeBron and the Lakers without LeBron, right? They're about to get him back. He's been injured for most of the year. When the Lakers don't have LeBron, they respect their opponents, and they're probably going into the game going, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to win. I don't know how we're going to make it out on the other side. But the Lakers with LeBron, when LeBron is on their side, that completely changes the mentality of the rest of the team. They go, no, they have to fear us. They have to respect us because of who we have on our side. In Psalm 124, 1 through 5, it says this. If the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. The waters would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us if the Lord had not been on our side. This passage is saying, if the Lord, I am, is on your side, 
then you don't have to fear the torrent. You don't have to fear the storm because he is greater than the storm. The storm fears him. So fearlessness in the storm doesn't come from looking within. It comes from looking without. There's a formula throughout the scriptures when it comes to our fear. It's repeated over and over again. Do not be afraid. And we know those words alone, when you tell somebody who's afraid or anxious, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, those words, they don't have any impact. But when they come with these two words, they have the most powerful impact to get us through any storm. Don't be afraid, I am. Genesis 15.1, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward. Genesis 26.24, do not fear, Isaac. I am with you. Genesis 46.3, Jacob, I am your God. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt. Isaiah 43.13, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Even when Peter lost sight of Jesus in this story, who's overcome with fear, he's like, what am I just doing? I'm walking on water in a storm. This is insane. He starts sinking all he could say was, Lord, save me. And just a cry of three words there. Jesus reached out his hand and caught a hold of him. We can lose sight of Jesus. We can lose sight that he is the I am. But Jesus will never lose his hold on us. Even in our fear and doubt, even when our faith is little, how do we know that the, the I am is on our side? It's here in the passage. It's here in the story. It's faith. Even little faith. Even sinking faith. Even desperate faith is enough. You know, what we have here is really the whole gospel in miniature story. Jesus was on a mountain in perfect communion with his father, right? He was praying. He, he was enjoying fellowship, being strengthened by his father, but he became aware of a storm that was on the sea. He became aware that his disciples were stuck and afraid and tired and weary and in a situation that was beyond them. And so he came down from the mountain. He went into the storm to rescue them. Friends, that's the gospel. Jesus came down to us from the eternal peace and safety of heaven to enter the storm that we were stuck in, the storm of evil and sin and death. He entered the storm for us, the storm of God's great judgment against all sin and evil and death. So we wouldn't have to, so we wouldn't have to fear it. He rescues us from the great storm. And so we can trust and believe that he will rescue us in and through all other storms. Even little sinking and desperate faith in Jesus, the I am, means he is on your side. What to expect about the storm? Fear and doubt, but expect Jesus to come towards you. What to not expect about the storm? Don't expect that it won't come. And lastly, what to expect after the storm. 
Okay, here's where this passage helps us answer, in part, the why question that we all struggle with when we go through storms. Why did all this have to happen? Why did this storm happen? Why was it necessary to have this storm this way? Why couldn't we learn this lesson, Jesus, in a classroom? You know, in a nice, safe classroom where there's snacks and there's LaCroix and there's just, there's just it's safe. And we can just sit in chairs and you can teach us you are the I am. Can't we do it that way? Couldn't we learn it without the storm? If you've been through a storm, you've asked that same question. Can't we do it another way? Isn't there another way to learn this? Why this? Well, what do you think? How do we learn not to be mastered or controlled by our fear, not to live in fear and paralyzed by it, and instead to be able to get through storms with greater hope and faith? Does it happen in a class? Does it happen by reading a book? Well, during the storm, the disciples, they're in the boat, they're wrestling, they're looking at the storm like, this storm is proof that Jesus doesn't care, that he's not with us, that he isn't good. But after the storm, they looked at the storm as evidence, not of his lack of love, not as proof that he didn't care. It's the other way around. Think about Peter and what he would say. In the storm, he would say, that's where I really started to learn who Jesus really is. That's where it happened. That's where I saw more of myself, who I really am, my weakness, my little faith, even my doubt. That's where I learned that I can trust him no matter how great the storm is and that he'll bring me safely through any storm. I could have only learned that in the storm. Otherwise, what I thought I knew would be all that I have about him and about myself. That's where what I knew of him what I knew about myself, it really got through in the storm. When he reached down, when I was sinking and he pulled me up, even in my doubt and fear, when he calmed the wind and it stilled, notice, no one was saying after that, hey, Jesus, that was, that was cool. Can I do what Peter did? Can you bring the storm back? And I want to try. No one said anything like that. The result is in verse 33, where they were all blown away in awe, and reverent fear, and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. They went from saying, here's who I think Jesus is. Here is who I believe. Jesus, you are this, to Jesus, truly, you are who you say you are. This is the heart of Christian growth, moving from faith that merely assents to a faith that adores. That is the kind of faith that prepares us for storms. That is the kind of faith that believes no matter what storm comes, I know he will get me through, safe to the other side. Not merely a faith that assents, but a faith that adores. And how do we learn that? How does that get through? It happens in the storm, through the storm. The why questions are not fully answered in our lives. Why do these storms have to come to us? Why that particular storm? But here we see, after the storm, they knew Jesus more fully for who he really was. They knew him more fully. Their categories about him, their filters about him 
Those were all put to the side, and they saw him as he really was. And it was in the storm that they were called to put into use what they did know about him, to grab a hold of it by faith, from mental understanding to personal trust. So two things in any storm that you can expect will be true afterward. If your trust is in Jesus, even little faith in the storm. One, worship, that you would be more fully able to say truly, not just Jesus, I think these things, not just Jesus, I know these things on paper, truly, you are. And you can also expect to be safe with Jesus, even through the greatest storms, even through the greatest of all storms, death. Death will just bring us, if our faith is in Jesus, to the most glorious expression of worship where we know Jesus for who He truly is, and we will be safe in His presence forever. Robert Murray McChain said, he said it like this, Are we not all immortal till our work is done? Are we not all immortal till our work is done? That is courage. That is faith that can face any storm. If I am, Jesus, Lord, is with me. To know Jesus and to be brought into true and lasting safety and to the safe harbor of his presence forever. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought us safe thus far. His grace will lead you home. If you're in a storm now, you can bank on that. And whatever storm might come, we can bank on that. Let's pray together. Jesus, this passage, it hits something that we all have or will have, fear. And so I pray for all of us who struggle with fear. I pray for those who are trapped and caught and mastered by fear right now, that you would bring great freedom, that they would see you as you are, the great I am. We thank you that you are the Lord who doesn't stay far off, but comes towards us in our storms. And I pray that you would do that even now. May we see you truly for who you really are. And may before anything else we fear, may we fear, worship, and revere you first, foremost, and more fully. We ask it by the power of your Spirit. Amen.